This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast. And now available on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week, we review the stories that made the business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig Earlham. How are you doing, Craig? I'm really good, mate. I'm really good. How are you? Not bad at all. What was your market moment of the week? Yeah, I think we're going to go a bit left field this week. This isn't something we've talked about too much on this podcast, but it's actually the Turkish Central Bank announcement that we had yesterday we had three central bank meetings yesterday it's not often that rather than talking about the bank of england or the ecb we're actually talking about the turkish central bank but there is a bit there's obviously a lot going on in the country right now there's a a lot of concern about the economic outlook we've seen inflation come close to 18 percent we've seen a central bank which is being reluctant to move interest rates in order to deal with this so we have seen capital outflows there's a situation Situation, of course, with President Erdogan getting control or trying to assume control over as much as he possibly can. There's been a lot of pressure from him on the central bank not to raise interest rates. He's actually stated that he believes higher interest rates are conducive with higher inflation, which goes against uh, all kinds of economic theory. And it's this influence that's got people so concerned because if he starts having an influence on interest rates and starts cutting interest rates to deal with high inflation then i think investors are going to run for the hills effectively and that's what we've seen plenty of evidence of we've seen that in the currency the fact that the turkish lira is trading at all-time lows against the us dollar it's fallen around 40 percent against the us dollar since the start of the year so we were looking for a response from the central bank not just to address the inflation side, but also a response that says we are independent and we are not under the influence of the president. Last week, they came out with a warning that there was going to be a move trying to ease some speculation and soften the impact on the currency, and it had the desired impact. Markets factored in a rate hike of around 4.25%, which is staggering when you consider it. I mean, when we're talking here about the potential of a 0.25% rise and what that damage that could do to the economony, and they they had interest rates at 17.75%, and markets are factoring in 4.25%. In fact, the central bank over-delivered, so they raised interest rates by 6.25%, taking it to 24%, and markets have responded well. The currency stabilised for now. There's still a lot of risk. But the type of swings and moves we've seen in markets, it seems to have settled emerging markets a little bit because people are obviously worried about contagion. It's had the desired effect in the meantime. A lot more work to be done. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the contagion side of things and uh, other emerging uh, economies. Who is most likely to be next to experience something like this after Turkey? That's always, uh, I guess, the million-dollar question. There's been a number of different uh, countries that have been highlighted. So we've seen uh, the South African rand coming under a lot of pressure. We know that South Africa has just fallen into recession. They have their own political challenges in, in the country as well. It's also the most liquid traded uh, emerging market currency I believe so whenever you see any turmoil emerging markets it tends to bear the brunt so we've seen this come under a lot of pressure we've seen India come under a lot of pressure the economy is actually doing well in India we're seeing a, a gradual reform agenda under Narendra Modi there the economy is growing at an incredible pace we've seen issues there over the last couple of years with the demonetization efforts which again is part of the reforms but that had deep economic impacts the Indonesian rupiah has come under a lot of pressure as well Basically, anywhere that has got large current account deficits and high non 
domestic currency denominated debt is coming very much heavily under the spotlight. Argentina, um, we've obviously seen now interest rates at 60% in order to try and quell speculation. The hope is that this doesn't get out of hand. The simple reason for that is with these emerging market situations, first people start looking for the areas of weakness and when panic starts to spread you actually start to see relatively healthy safe secure economies suffer quite significant outflows because people just don't want to be the last out the door and if anyone fears at any point that this is starting to spread to the healthier economies and they move as well it starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy so at the moment it seems that we're seeing a little bit of stability but there's still plenty of risk there very interesting indeed craig you alluded to uh, our own interest rates rates here and the Bank of England, of course, held them at 0.75% as expected, but flagged greater uncertainty around the Brexit negotiations. The MPC voted 9-0 to zero to leave rates unchanged. No surprise there, of course. But there are indications that there may be an interest rate rise or two next year. We also saw the ECB keep its interest rates unchanged on the Thursday and there was some news from the Bank of England's governor as well. But let's stay with the rates in the UK. What is the market betting on in terms of the next rate rise? I think the Bank of England is more than happy with the message right now with three over the next three years. Very steady, very gradual, non-committal. There's enormous amounts of uncertainty, obviously, around the UK with Brexit. Good and positive and negative uncertainty, but either way, it affects the forecast. So I don't think the central bank wants to overly commit until we have a much clearer outlook for the economy. I think what we're going to see from the Bank of England over the next few months is we're going to see them hide away. We're going to see them move back into the shadows. They don't want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to be interfering with the process or seen to be interfering with the process. There's no need for them to do anything now. They've raised interest rates. They've done their bit for this year. Therefore, we're going to see a boring central bank and that's very much going to be their aim and they're going to be very happy to be just that. The problem is anytime they try to be boring, Someone tries to drag them back in. So we look at the reports, the stories of the last 24 hours with regards to Mark Carney. He was asked to come uh, and appear before the cabinet yesterday to effectively show their findings on a worst case scenario with regards to a no deal Brexit. What should you be prepared for? This is stress testing. This is what the central bank's job as a regulator, as an overseer is to do. Take the worst, what they believe to be the worst case scenario, stress test the banks and make sure that they're able to handle it. And from what I read, the banks all passed the stress test, but he has to then present these findings to the cabinet. And one of the things that they appeared in the stress test was house prices to fall by 35%. As we see in this modern day, incredibly frustrating world is you take a story like that and then you see the papers determine which way they're leaning on Brexit, whether they remain or leave, and then they make a story out of it depending on that. So this worst case scenario stress test thing has been sold as a more scaremongering carney projecting 35 percent decline in house prices it's absolutely ridiculous we've got to stop trying to drag officials who don't want to be involved in this process into the process and using them as a pawn and that's not just a leave thing we see this on both sides of the spectrum this very much idea that you you wonder why everyone's so frustrated with the media coverage of the brexit situation and that's because it seems that every story very dependent on the angle that you're coming at it from to an absolute extreme and we've seen it with Car Again, he he very much um, is the toy for the levers, the 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 villain uh, who they want to pin all of their frustration on. One of those experts that Michael Gove alluded to just before the actual referendum vote. As you said, all the headlines being about this uh, 
possible 35% decrease in property prices if there is a no-deal Brexit. But even if it's just a headline, this can be a self-fulfilling prophecy and it could actually affect the market. Yeah, it can. And that's why I sometimes think that these things just being reported makes no sense. This is a stress test. And it's it's a no, it seems to be a no-win scenario. If you do the stress test and it doesn't get publicised, people think you're not being transparent. If it gets publicised, people think you're scaremongering and you're feeding into this agenda. But there might be some truth in in the figures. There might be some truth in the figures, but the whole point of a stress test is it's a worst-case scenario. So the chances are there's an extraordinarily good chance that in the worst-case scenario, even that still does not happen. That doesn't mean we couldn't see a 20% drop in house prices or a 15% drop in house prices. But we're talking about worst-case scenarios here. And the whole point of this is to say, in this absolute worst-case scenario, Mm. are the banks in a financial position where we wouldn't be experiencing what we did 10 years ago the potential collapse of rbs the collapse of northern rock etc and they all pass and that is the point of these stress tests it's not these this is not a story that should be used to politicize something that isn't political it was a strange week for brexit because we had early on in the week we had some strengthening in sterling there seemed to be more compromise coming out of the eu comments by the likes of uh, Michel Barnier, uh, Theresa May, a bit more confident about her checkers plan. And then, of course, you had the other side, the Jacob Rees-Mogg gang and uh, and what they had to say uh, going forward. And then we had these rumours that Theresa May has only got uh, weeks rather than months uh, as Prime Minister. Uh, of course, you've predicted this, haven't you? That should be gone by the end of the year. So uh, more on that later, perhaps. <laughs> it was a, one of those weird weeks for, for Brexit where... On the one hand, Philip Hammond said six to eight weeks we could have actually a deal. And then suddenly not so optimistic. Where are we with this? Uh, I don't think we're any further on than we were two weeks ago. Markets have become far more sensitive to these little comments. We want any sign that there's going to be progress. I do actually think there has been a softening in the language from numerous officials, mainly from the EU side. Because they realise a deal has to really be done. They realise the deal has to be done. There is going to be chaos and it's something that we want to avoid. That doesn't mean their position has changed. That doesn't mean that they're willing to jeopardise the single market or any of their ideals. It just means that they're willing to allow for certain flexibilities in areas where there's possibility for flexibility so this could be for example how much detail needs to go into this final agreement this is something that angela merkel reportedly uh, alluded to last week how much what needs to be done now by 31st of march and what can be addressed over the next couple of years the fine tuning as it were what do we need a broad outline on now this idea this from uh, michel barnier this week it is a change in language it's not relevant but i this idea yes six to eight weeks a deal can be done previously all we've ever heard about is how hard and how complex and how long these things take it does appear like a slight softening in tone but maybe it's more of actually just an acknowledgement that we don't have much longer than that left so it has to be done in the next six to eight weeks although they're talking about maybe it wouldn't be a complete deal maybe only just 20 percent of what is needed to be decided would actually be done and then more of that later there's certain things that need to be decided now there's certain things that need to be decided by the start of 2020 so we need a broad outline of what our future relationship is going to be we need to agree on the brexit bill which has been agreed but very much brexiteers are tying this and um dominic raab has tied this very much to a future relationship uh we need an agreement on what the backstop will be for northern ireland because if you had for a no deal brexit there needs to be a solution for the northern ireland border so something that will need to be firmly agreed is what that backstop's going to be and so far this idea that we've got a time 
limit on the backstop just to appease the Brexiteers just doesn't make any sense because a, a time-limited backstop isn't a backstop. It just isn't because what happens if you get to the end of that time period? So these things are going to have to be ironed out, but I think there's going to be a lot that's going to be kicked down the road. And we've seen negotiations over and over again. We've seen negotiations with Greece during this bailout over the last eight years. These things get kicked down the road the vast majority of the time and only the things that absolutely have to be sorted tend to get sorted and that's going to be exactly the case now. So this softening of the language is not a we're, we're removing red lines or we're, we're, we're setting our stalls out slightly differently. It's an acknowledgement that what they wanted to achieve by the end of this year is probably not going to be achieved and what will be achieved is going to be the absolute bare minimum on what they needed to do. US President Donald Trump says Washington is under no pressure uh, to achieve a trade deal with China as the prospect of new tariffs loom. Uh, Craig, those comments um, come amid reports that the two sides could resume talks to stave off a third round of uh, US tariffs. And the news is that China has welcomed the offer of talks. Yeah, I mean, this week, again, it's been a bit of a topsy-turvy week. Maybe we're reading too much into every single comment that's released, and that that relates back to Brexit as well, actually. Um, the, the US has extended an offer to China, it's believed, and China has open to these discussions taking place. This comes as Trump prepares another $200 billion in tariffs, threatens another 267 I think it is, which would take it to the entire just north of $500 billion of imports would be then have a tariff uh, applied to them. But it also comes as China's using another tactic to, to get under the US's skin and saying, yes, we know this is a trade war and we know that the leverage is with you because we're the ones with the trade deficit, but there's other things that we can do to respond to what you are doing. And that's exactly what they're doing now. They are having closer relationship talks with Russia, the US's biggest foe. So basically saying, well, if we can't rely on you as a partner, then that's where we need to go. We need to look further east for uh, for closer relations as an alternative to the US in the longer term. They've also cited the EU as well. We need closer trade ties there, so we don't need to be as reliant on the US. So this is a tactic from China to offset the fact that they are running a deficit and therefore they don't have the leverage in these talks. And it's quite alarming to see that sort of big military show of strength between Russia and China Xi and Putin as one earlier in the week. Um, it's part of the game, isn't it, really? A geopolitical game that can affect our economics. I don't think we can underestimate just how much that will have annoyed Donald Trump. That idea that they are making a show of him, that they're saying, well, if we are not going to stand by by our side, we will stand side by side oh. and we will make we will we will make ourselves look high and mighty and we will we will we will tell everyone that we don't need you anymore and we can actually survive quite well on our own not only will that have annoyed trump that will have been very troubling yes. for other for the republicans who the last thing that they want to do in any of this democrats republicans all, all aligned, the last thing they want to do is push China into the arms uh, of Russia and increase Russia's uh, influence. And But that's exactly what China is thre effectively threatening to do. So like I say, this is another sign that these trade ties and deficits, surpluses, everything, this ultimately uh, uh, comes down to uh, relations and to influence. And while Donald Trump is very, very much focused on the monetary side of things, I think he's overlooked other very, very important aspects, and that is now coming to light. Quite alarming, really, isn't it? Let's look ahead to next week. What are you looking out for? 
Yeah, so next week, it's back to the data, really. We've got a lot of economic data, things like PMIs, UK retail sales, UK inflation. From a central bank perspective, we've got minutes from the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia. We've got a, 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 an interest rate decision from the Bank of Japan and the Swiss National Bank. I think, again, though, the focus is just going to be on the politics. How are these trade talks going to progress with the US and China? What's the latest going to be on Brexit? Blah, blah, blah. The same old stories, but you've got to remember these are very long-standing stories. And if we're looking at the markets right now, it really is the politics, which has been such a driver of things. You, all you have to do is look at the central bank this, uh, announcements, meetings from the last few months and see how small an impact they have primarily had on markets compared to the political story to know exactly what people are focused on right now. Craig, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. That was Craig Earlham, Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London. That is another Oanda Market Insights podcast. We're back again next week. Don't forget, we're also available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. And also, don't forget to make some comments if you have any about this Oanda Market Insights podcast. Very much appreciated. Have a great week. the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.